Hello lovers, go to entamopleasurables.com for your slippery needs and get 20% off with the WILD20 promo code. You'll thank me later. Running wild with Christine, sex, success, and other slippery rabbit holes. Welcome to episode 121 with Erin Davidson. Hi, Erin. Hi. How are you today? I'm good. I'm excited to be here. I know I'm excited to do this too. It's been a while since I've had a fellow author on, so I'm excited to ask book questions. <laughs> oh, that's so exciting. When I was looking into your stuff too, and I saw that you'd written a book and about like sex and that stuff too, I was like, oh, nice. We've got even more to talk about. Like meant to be. <laughs> it's like when you approach me, you're like, hey, should we talk? I'm like, yes, like yeah, 100%. <laughs> Don't need to know more. When are you available? <laughs> um, so yeah, we don't know each other in real life, which I like to preface because I'm discovering Aaron as are you listeners. Um, so we're going to start with our usual, who are you? Question. Yeah. Very, you know, easy to answer. Yeah. The most like dreaded interview question, <laughs> but also an important one. So I would say I am a sex and relationship therapist here in Vancouver um, somewhat born and raised here in Vancouver. I grew up in a suburb nearby. Um, I'm also a writer and recently an author, which has been super exciting. I would also say I am a white lady and yep. I am a, that's an important piece. Um, I am a like super big feeler, sensitive person. And I would also say I'm like a big introvert and extrovert. I always kind of get like right in the middle when I take any of those tests, you which feels days. like a big there. Yeah. <laughs> Good. I'm definitely an extrovert, also a white lady. <laughs> so for anyone <laughs> listening, we're sorry. <laughs> this happens. Um, okay. So you grew up in a suburb nearby. You said, what was your childhood like? What, how would you describe it? Yeah, I would say adding, adding to who I am now, I consider myself like a reformed, like good girl rule follower perfectionist mm -hmm. and so I feel like my childhood was very much like really wonderful in a lot of ways mm -hmm. but like very much on the values of like achieving things like sports school I grew up um in the Christian church so that was a big part of my life yeah um and I would also say yeah like big focuses on appearances and that stuff too so I feel like the like adult years of my life have been a lot of like unlearning of a lot of that mm -hmm. Totally. I was that you were just like unearthed so many questions. I'm so excited. <laughs> um, well, I was thinking when I when I reached out to you over Instagram, I was thinking I gave you like six things that we could talk about. And I'm like, I don't know if these are related, but I feel like your <laughs> podcast is called Rabbit Holes. And I feel like yes. I'll give you one of those. And we're gonna find a way through it together. Exactly. That's the point. I feel like the honestly, like the last three or four episodes, I've been like, sometimes you just need to be heard. You just, you know, like it just needs you. Some people just need to feel heard and like have their stories told and what those stories are. We're like such complex humans that you're not just the one 45 minute story. You're going to be like that and another hundred of those. So wherever we end up going yeah. is where we end up today. <laughs> It'll just be an, a thing of today. <laughs> Tomorrow we could be a whole other thing. Um, 
so you said you were, uh, you know, perfectionist, overachiever, all that stuff. Was that the case still mm-hmm. in high school, like super nerdish or how would you describe yourself? Oh my goodness. Yeah. Big time. High school for me <laughs> <laughs> was like, I feel like I've never been more stressed in my life. Like, I feel like it was the peak mm. of like, please perform perfect, like do good in school, um, like succeed on the volleyball team and I remember my friends still make fun of me that I am still friends with from from high school about when we would be in English class and we would have essays. Like it's only been recently that I've been able to like writing again because I feel like I have like mm. essay trauma where I would be like rubbing my my legs like on my jeans like this <laughs> <laughs> because I was so anxious. And so I just have a lot of compassion for that like 16 year old, 17 year old girl who thought that like she just had to follow the rules and like do well um but in another sense it's like at the time it seemed pretty easy in a weird way like oh the rules are this like Mm -hmm. just do well in school with like Christianity it was like okay just don't have sex and then you get to go to heaven and that's like okay that's pretty straightforward yeah (laughs) and then life gets a lot more complicated (laughs) (laughs) yes yes um did you when did you start breaking the rules then (laughs) (laughs) yeah so getting into um like my first relationship is when things start to feel a lot murkier and a lot more complicated and like always being told that like sex is something that you have to save until marriage and that it's like this like really bad thing and then I started to not be able to understand like okay so it's bad until you get married and then like what is actually different then like what actually changes and like what makes this bad and it's just like an unearthing of all of this um just like questioning I also spent some time um my first year out of high school I went to a school in Florida which was like a very interesting experience as I think Mm -hmm. most people who go to Florida would find um (laughs) but yeah so I, I went on a volleyball scholarship and it was a very like interesting place where there's super religious pieces of like people really following that. And I remember I tried out like six or seven different churches, but then people would act one way on Sundays. And then in the middle of the week, they'd be like staying over at their boyfriend's house or like on our volleyball Mm -hmm. trips, we'd find out people were having sex and it's like, okay, like if we're just lying about what we're doing, like I didn't get it. And that was kind of the beginning yeah of this unraveling of like okay what are these rules like what are they actually for here yeah what how old were you when you got in your first relationship I was in the last year of high school so I was like what is that like 17 17 yeah yeah that is about the time where things start to make a lot less sense did you (laughs) did you know what you were going to do after high school like or after Florida like did you have a plan in mind or was it kind of one of those like "Eh, shit what now yeah that's a good question I wanted to be a therapist from a young age um I remember watching Oprah after school and I at first I wanted to be a journalist like her and then I realized that (laughs) I always joke I thought I wanted to be a journalist but I realized I was the weird kid in school who just liked like you know when you did like reading out loud like they'd pass around the books and I feel like Uh most people find that really stressful but for some reason I really liked reading yeah you too (laughs) me too I was like can I please read can I please read can I please hear my own voice (laughs) I'm really good at reading. Can I do that? (laughs) 
And this explains a lot why I think we're talking to each other right now. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but go on, I interrupted. <laughs> um, so yeah, at first I thought I wanted to do that. And then I realized, oh no, actually that just seems super stressful. And um, I don't know, I realized like more of the day-to-day wasn't just reading off of the teleprompter and I didn't want to do all that. Um, mm-hmm. And then I thought, oh, Oprah is actually like listening to people about their feelings. And so that took me down the path of like, oh, like from, we were lucky we had a psychology class in high school. And so like mm-hmm. early on, I learned, oh yeah, this is for me. I couldn't get enough. Um, and when I was in Florida, I was there pretty much just for sports. And I started to see like, oh, the school here isn't really what I'm looking for. And so um, I, I knew kind of, I only stayed for a year because I knew, oh, I want to yeah. actually like get into the psychology piece a little bit more. Nice. And then where did you go to school for that? And then I went to UBC here in Vancouver. I went to UBC too. Oh, that's so yeah. awesome. What yeah, did you study? Is- I got a degree in international relations that I have not used ever since. (laughs) It has informed a lot of my thinking and that I did a lot of philosophy classes. But other than that, it has been uh, just an exercise in thought more than an exercise in skill. (laughs) Uh, Which also explains the podcast. (laughs) I'm like, please debate with me for hours on end. No one wants to do that anymore. (laughs) Um, So I, hmm. Did you find that going into UBC you were like entering a whole other world because I can imagine going Mm. from you know just a little that you've told me entering Mm. like UBC for those who don't know is a huge university it is like 60,000 people on a semi-island beautiful backdrop but also just like I had the best time because I'm 170% an extrovert but if you are in any way shape or form introverted it is super isolating and like yeah 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 not like the rest of Vancouver so what was your experience like yeah I think it that's a lot of people's experiences I was really lucky that my my best friend since like preschool she already like set up shop with like she set up the friends (laughs) so I just got to get in on that and we had the same roommates for a few years so that was really really great Oh, that's awesome. When were you at UBC? Yeah. This is not interrelated. Was... <laughs> <laughs> just trying to see if we were there at the but same yeah, time. Maybe we, maybe we overlapped. I was there from 2011. Um, I feel like overlap. onwards forever. Did we? Yeah. I, oh, I graduated so in cool. 2013, December, 2013. I ended um, my degree. So oh. if you were, if you went to the pit between 2011 and 2013, I was there as the bartender. Oh my gosh. Yes. I was, I lived in the residence right across, which was perfect because you could, nice. you could wear heels and you only had to walk like five steps to get did there. Did you engage so, or which one did you live I in? I did. Yeah. <laughs> Great. We have Tony, a friend of mine on the episode just before yours, um, that also oh. lived in Gage. So <laughs> shout out to Gage <laughs> residents. <laughs> um, oh, fond yes. feelings. I love, I love Gage. It was, uh, yeah, we talked about all of our highs and a lot of our lows <laughs> taking place there. <laughs> um, so you're in your first relationship at 17. Do you carry that through onto university? Like what's that relationship like? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, yeah, and I will just add lows for sure. Definitely like with the shock, not so much socially, but with school was a big shock because it's like going from, um, I don't know. It was just a lot harder than I expected. So that was definitely a big, 
mm-hmm. big challenge getting used to that and, and all of that. But yeah, so I stayed in the same relationship and I was actually in that relationship for like seven years. So from 17 oh, wow. until 24. And so that relationship, um, really formed me as a person. Um, and mm-hmm. I'm very appreciative and, and grateful for that. And there's, I just feel like it was like, that's how I grew up was like that relationship. So I feel like there's a lot in that. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so how do you go from the girl that's in her high school sweetheart, seven year relationship and a student to a sex therapist? <laughs> like, where is this puzzle coming together? <laughs> I love that question. And like you said, I feel like there's not a straight line. And I feel like if you asked me tomorrow, I'd probably have a different answer. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I was thinking about this today and I know that we might get into talking about breakups in a little bit, but mm-hmm. I was, I was like actually journaling this morning and I was thinking about our conversation today and I, I thought of this metaphor that I got super pumped on and Ooh. a fellow writer, you might like a metaphor as well, but always <laughs> I was thinking about, so in that relationship, I feel like I had my two biggest like heartbreak experiences that really formed me. And like one of them, I feel like is kind of unconventional. Um, But I was thinking about like, okay, why do I consider this more unconventional one, like a heartbreak experience? And I was thinking, Mm -hmm. I feel like it's like heartbreak is like you're when you carry around one of those big purses or backpacks that you've had forever. Mm -hmm. And heartbreak is the thing that like where you dump it all out. Like it's like something happens and then you got to dump it all out on the table And Mm -hmm. sometimes after our heart's broken, we just kind of throw it all back in and we keep going and we don't really think about it. But other times it can be those experiences that really like shake us up where we can go, oh, I didn't realize I had this like dried out lip gloss Mm -hmm. in my bag for the past like three years. That's not serving me anymore. Like, why am I carrying all this shit around? Mm -hmm. And it can really be this process of like really looking at things from a different angle than you might not have otherwise or realizing Mm -hmm. all the things you've been like, that are super heavy and that you've been carrying for so long. Yeah. So did you throw it all out? <laughs> <laughs> I think it took an experience like that, that made me have to like dump out the bag of all the shit mm-hmm. to start to shift this like image of as like following the rules, like being a, like whatever a good girl is, but like just trying to do all the things yeah. that people said would make me valuable and so um yeah do, do I just feel, feel like do you feel like that experience this is like a weird way to ask this but uh bear with me um do you feel like that first incidence of heartbreak and we can get into like what these two incidences were but mm-hmm. um do you feel like your new fresh you know packing situation of what you wanted to put back in do you feel like that was portrayed outward do you feel like people saw you like throwing out the shit you didn't need or was that very much like an internal process where you're just like silently and shamefully going like what the fuck yeah that's a good point I think it was like when it first happens it's more private but I think then the healing happens from it being more public Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah I think I think that sometimes like a a good trigger a, like a productive mm-hmm. trigger when you're just like falling apart but not in the like sad pathetic rom-com way of falling apart and like the 
I need to fall yeah. apart in order to put the pieces that I want back into the thing. And sometimes yeah. n- doing that in like, not necessarily a public like social media or anything, but like with your friends or with your family or with the people near you or in your program, which is going like, actually, what the fuck is this shit? Like, I don't want this. This does not serve me. This doesn't help me. Why are we doing this? <laughs> I feel like that sometimes is just like a helpful trigger, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's usually really like a painful process because it's like mm-hmm. flipping up all of the way you'd understood the world. Um, for me, it was this like that like cheat sheet of like, okay, just like go to church, like don't have sex, um, succeed in school. Like, okay, these are the things that are going to give you a happy life. And then you learn, oh shit, like that isn't actually what's what does yeah. it. Yeah. 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 And so for me, that first, like what I'd call like a heartbreak experience is something that I wouldn't wish on anyone. I wouldn't wish it on myself again. Um, mm. It might even be something that maybe we should put a trigger warning here. Um, I won't go into too graphic details, but for me, it was my experience of getting sexually assaulted. And so not by my partner, but when I was on a trip with some girlfriends, like celebrating our graduation from university I was sexually assaulted at like a party and it was yeah I shouldn't I feel like the tendency is to just like rush through that but yeah giving it some space it was heavy Mm. but that is that is the tendency with narratives right we're like so Mm -hmm. then this happened and then that happened and then yeah totally go into like the storytelling like just like yeah let's zip through it it wasn't yeah yeah, the, here's the mountain, and the peak of the thing. Yeah, did uh, so that happened on a trip? So are you said at the end of celebrating high school graduation? Um, this was university graduation. University so at that graduation. point, yeah. So I'd been with my my high school boyfriend then for about like four or five years. Um, at that point, and it was a really just like a super confusing time because at first I thought that like I didn't understand. I was in so much shame. I thought that I had mm-hmm. cheated. And so I'd kind of like broken my own heart in that way mm-hmm. where I felt like, like even the way I explained it to people, even the friends on my trip, like that weren't there when it happened, but like were there, they, the way I explained it to them was like, I had cheated and I felt so full of like the shame and the Remorse. guilt. And so there was a, yeah, there was a period of time where it felt like I just blame myself, which I know um, is just all too common. I think it's the most common um, response response and so that period of that heartbreak and then I would say like within that same experience the heartbreak of realizing my like way I'd looked at the world of how to be safe also wasn't what kept me safe yeah how did you feel like what do you mean by that like physically how you kept yourself safe like did you have a drink or was it like did you blame it on I yourself? I think both. I think yeah. both. So like, there's the more like n- the way that I found my worth and like the safety. And again, like that mm-hmm. roadmap mm-hmm. of like, mm-hmm. okay, I'd like, now I was I did everything right. Yeah. I ticked all these boxes. I graduated university. I had a boyfriend. I like felt attractive in that moment. And I didn't always. And I was mm-hmm. like, keeping this mental tally of like, okay, I'm good enough. And what now the worst thing in my whole life can still happen to me when I'm at this period of where I thought, okay, I'd done everything. You're unbeatable. Yeah. 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 
that's rough. Did mm-hmm. uh, sorry if this is personal and you have every right not to answer, but had you had sex with your boyfriend prior to that? Yes, I had, and I'm I'm glad you asked because I feel like like so until that point as well like you're also dealing with the shame like even though I battled with this and thought about it and been like no like this is someone who treats me well I like don't think there's anything wrong with it you still carry that like lingering like murky gross shame yeah guilt from that had been just like given to you like no into your brain want this but thank you (laughs) yeah thank you for that Mm -hmm. yeah great really grateful yeah Yeah. um I'm I'm, I'm asking because because it is part of like virginity is a social construct and a total Mm -hmm. myth like all Mm -hmm. those things stand Mm -hmm. to be said while we're having this conversation um that's anyway Mm -hmm. my opinion (laughs) no Um, I'm (laughs) like yeah a hundred percent um, however, there stands to uh, have something to be said about whether your sexual debut was one that you feel with hindsight comfortable with and happy about versus having it be traumatic. Yes. Yeah. So my my sexual debut, which is just like such a wonderful term, I'm so glad that that exists now. Mm-hmm. Um, it was it was it was really positive. Like I, it was really intentional. Um, we both made it really special, but there was a moment before we decided to have sex where I would like, remember looking at myself in the mirror and going, okay, you're not going to be an acceptable Christian anymore. Like it was like a, mm-hmm. I am choosing to now be bad. bad. And so you, that, that doesn't go away either. Like you carry that with you, even if you have that dissonance of like, no, like more of me feels like this is the right decision. That, exactly. And so there was all this, like like that definitely impacted our sexual relationship and like trying to work through that and um, just ended up like not feeling like I wanted to have sex because it was so complicated and then throw in a sexual assault experience. And then I just remember being so mad that sex was so complicated. And I remember saying to my therapist, like, I just wish sex wasn't a thing because it was Mm. so complicated and I was so mad that the world made it so complicated because it was like, I felt like I'd been just like tricked or something. And so yeah, you, ha- you were, <laughs> yeah, you actually were like you were, yeah. it's literally like a bodily function that is like eating. And yet we fuck with people's brains until it's not. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. totally, totally a f- fuckery that yeah. that stands for you know that is a real and valid reason for anger and upsetness and all of the feelings and yet yeah. part of the mind fuckery is shh don't talk about it it's don't talk about it it's in your head you know yeah, yeah. it's you it's you it's, it's you. not this yeah. system that we've manufactured to make sex be impossible for people who are like socialized as women like you're the mm-hmm slut or you're the prude and that's it is impossible if you're trying and then to, like, also we're gonna put you on life-threatening medication without telling you they're actually life-threatening and we'll fuck with your brain until you're a different person without them by the way yeah yeah all angry that, about like, all that. <laughs> it's infuriating absolutely um, infuriating it is and the thing is is we've continued to normalize it you know 
we've continued to let that be the narrative. Um, and not, not because like, I'm not blaming us as women for letting it happen. I'm just saying it, it's no. a fact it's continued to happen. Um, and it's so, like you said, it's so complicated that it's, it can seem impossible to untangle mm-hmm. to the point where, you know, I, when you say like, I wish it wasn't a thing, I'm not like, what? I'm like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I feel like so many of us have had that moment. And as a therapist, like hearing other people in those moments too, it's like, yeah, it like hits and it hurts to hear that mm-hmm. because it, but it just, it's like, yeah, you get it. And it's like, yeah. I also want to be like, it's not your fault that you feel that way. Like you're playing a, yeah. a game that's just Centuries stacked old. against you. Yeah. And just like fully armed. Yeah. with backup systems and backup systems in case you figure out a way out never mind yeah they just get sneakier Actually they get less obvious <laughs> um oh, fuck. okay so what how do you put the pieces back together after that like what because because you also graduated university which is another thing I often ask about I often ask about the end of high school and the end of university mm. because that's the end of the script mm. that's the end of the you know, book of, of how to be successful. This is where you are just left to your own devices and told the world is your oyster and best of luck. I have no other advice. Go, (laughs) you know? So how is that moment of already challenging, um, transition made more complicated by this trauma? That's just. Yeah. Well, that's the, the purse flips flipped upside down moment. So Mm -hmm. when I, I feel like the low point was the, like, I just wish it wasn't a thing. And like, just, I feel like that captures that really well. And then slowly, but surely like the reclaiming and the coming back from that was first of all, starting to understand that it wasn't my fault. Yeah. And that's a really slow process, but I feel like it also kind of happens all at once when you have that understanding. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that came from talking to the right people, talking to the supportive people, and then me starting to go back to the people who I told that it like that I cheated, like being like, actually like this, like just kind of retelling my story in the way that was more true, accurate. Um, more accurate, um, working through that with my boyfriend. But then the biggest piece for me was actually writing about it. Yeah. And I ended up having an opportunity to post it on a pretty like I don't know if this website still exists, but it was like a pretty public, um, like blog website that posted my story. And that like changed my life because it mm-hmm. was, a, it was a few years before me too. And it was like a total, like me too kind of experience where I put it out there. And then I got like hundreds, hundreds of messages mm-hmm. from people that I knew people that I knew, like in different areas of my life that I wasn't even that close to. And then some people I was really close to. And it just blew me away. It was like, holy shit. Like, I can't believe that this is happening to so many people. And yeah, like that component that just really helped like let go of so much shame. And then also the piece of learning about like the power of writing. Like I hadn't really thought of myself mm-hmm. as a writer because I'd kind of lost the fun of it from school. It made it just stressful. But that was like, wow, like I feel like there's no better feeling and maybe you feel this way too of like when you write something and someone else goes like, wow, like you really put into words something that I've 
felt. There's and so- honestly no better feeling. It's, yeah. it's exactly what you said. It's, it's like twofold. It's, it's the liberation of just putting it on paper and, and having mm-hmm. it live outside of you on a material thing, whether it's paper or computer, paper is just figure yeah. of speech at this point. Um, but, you know, putting it outside <laughs> of your body is the first release and then as a secondary more powerful wave you have that like you're not alone thank you for saying the things that all of the shame that you felt stopped me from saying them and then you know the the sort of like community aspect to it the communal experience of letting go of that shame and of just sort of like just get you know getting that one lipstick out you know you might still have 50 in the fucking backpack but it's you know just a little one it's already such a huge difference huge huge I mean I should say this more often and, and thank you for the prompt but like if you're listening and you haven't tried I know I talked about the artist's way in the morning pages and I do not do them because I am a terrible, (laughs) terrible person who says things and doesn't do them herself. But um, if you can try, (laughs) put it on paper, I swear it helps. (laughs) One day maybe I'll listen to my own advice. (laughs) Um, But yeah, yeah, that is a huge part. And so did you then after that continue to write or was that like a first moment and then there was still a blurry phase or how, how did it go from there? Yeah. Um, yeah, it was the first moment where I realized, oh, I want to do this. And like, mm. this, this is the best feeling and like best makes it sound like it's all positive. Like it's, it's like this cathartic feeling that's hard, but feels so good when I get it out. Um, yeah. And I just like, it was a lot of scrambling over the years of like learning how to try to write um, and make space for it. Like I so relate to you saying like, oh, like do the morning pages, but I can't do it. I think I've gotten to like the fifth chapter of the artist's way. Like every time I've read it, I don't think I've ever made it to the end. (laughs) (laughs) One day, who knows? Maybe one day. (laughs) But you should at least try. (laughs) That's my my advice. Yeah, maybe it works for you. Lots of people who do it every day. And I'm so like in awe of those people. Hi, Julia. I know you do them every day and you tell me, yeah, it would really make you feel better. And I'm like, yeah. And then I don't do it (laughs) because it's terrifying. Like to go back to what you said about best, it's terrifying. You, You have to be in a place similar to therapy where you're willing to look at it. Like you can't take it back once it's out of you it's there mm. like it's not permanent mm-hmm. which is a thing but it's still there for you to see and you can't run away from it it's there yes yeah exactly um yeah and so then there was there's grad school which again is more like academic writing and mm-hmm. um takes a bit of the joy away from it but I feel like I was going into it with a different lens of like oh I can actually write about things I'm interested in and so I like researched sexual assault and like interviewed survivors. And that was also like really rewarding. Um, mm. And then I think it's been in the last couple of years, last two years or so, where I've started to like make more space for writing and like make it a priority and be able to do it more. Um, uh, hell yeah, yeah you wrote a book. Hard. Yeah. Congratulations. It is very, very, very hard to do that. <laughs> Thank you. Speaking from experience. So hard. 
I'm not even saying write anything good. You know, like I'm not even commenting on like the, totally. the goodness of my book. I'm just saying actually doing it is really, really hard. And then 100%. cross your fingers, someone, you know, relates. <laughs> like, all you can ask for. Uh, I have to remind myself all the time. It's like you're writing because you like to write and not because it has to be anything because I feel like that barrier and like the perfectionist part comes back and goes oh no why start unless you're gonna make it something good and then you never do it exactly there there is no such thing as a finished product like it's it's just like I feel like if I reread it now which I will not do um because I had to do it (laughs) dude I had to record the audio book like a year and a half after it got published and I was like this is re-traumatizing and I do not like it. <laughs> just sitting in the booth crying the whole like five days it took to record the thing. I was oh. like, this is not good. <laughs> this is not good, y'all. I mean, the book's pretty good. I'm crying, but like, just, you know, I didn't need this. <laughs> um, so yeah, if oh I wanted to read it I've today. Heard... Go ahead. Oh, sorry. I've, I've just, I've heard reading an audiobook is one of the hardest things. Like I was watching, um, do you know, okay, who's the guy in Hamilton? Um, yeah, Les- I- Leslie Autumn Jr. And he's so talented and I think he's so amazing. He was saying that reading an audiobook was the hardest thing he's ever done. And I'm thinking, what the heck? Like you do so many things. How could, I don't know. So that's a lot of props to you that. Yeah, I'm not Leslie sure how good it hard. is. Again, I never <laughs> listened to it. Someone else was paid to edit that. I was like, I'm not doing that. Out of my hands. <laughs> good luck. <laughs> Um, but oh, I lost my frame of thought. Um, so you said, yes, you, uh, dedicated more time to writing in the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're doing this all, are you still in grad school or did you finish? I'm dying. I'm a couple of years out now. So what have you been doing for the last two years? Like to pay the bills? Yeah. Um, so sorry, I have a little burp. Hopefully you can edit that out. No, I'm gonna leave it. Or <laughs> I can edit it. <laughs> you know, it's good. It helps the like perfectionist. We're like showing her it's okay. Yes. You can burp on the podcast, and <laughs> no one can talk for 45 minutes without something like bodily happening. Like, it, I'm about to sneeze at any moment. So, oh my goodness, uh, the about to sneeze. I hate. I often get that on my my sessions with clients, and whenever I say I'm about to sneeze, then I don't, and, and then don't. I just look like a crazy person yep yeah I totally feel that you're like and fuck <laughs> I just lost it <laughs> kind of like an orgasm it's elusive the minute you think it's coming it's not <laughs> I think they're they're more related than we think I, I imagine they're very related <laughs> <laughs> so anyways back to you in the last couple of years <laughs> after this bodily interlude <laughs> oh my god um yes so the last couple of years. So as I neared the end of grad school, so I feel like it was like kind of this like slow chipping away at getting more like allowing, like repairing my relationship with sex and like um, also like the unlearning continued and all of that. And I remember being in one of my last, I think it was after my last class in grad school, we went out for drinks, me and my classmates, and they were talking about all the trainings that they wanted to do. And some people were talking about um, like sex therapy training. And I remember feeling like, oh man, like, oh, no fair. I want to do that. And then I had the thought like, but you can, yeah. <laughs> nobody's telling you not to do it. 
not a pie. It's not a pie. <laughs> yeah, but I was feeling this like weird jealousy and this like I had these beliefs of like, oh, you couldn't possibly be a sex therapist because you have had such a like weird relationship with sex and like such a shame fueled relationship. And like, oh, if you like talk to people, you'd probably just be like so uncomfortable and couldn't handle it. And Hmm, then I realized, well, yeah. And I had this idea of like who a sex therapist was. I pictured like this, like really quirky and like, yeah, really like extroverted, which I'm not really. And like, I thought I just had to have this persona. And then I just started to realize, like I kept the tabs open on my computer for, I think like a full year to sign up for the program. Mm -hmm. And then I just decided, you know what, this just feels important to me and we're just going to go with it and see how it goes. And it ended up being so wonderful. It was this um, like two stints in person in Portland of this, um, of all these like 10 days worth of classes cool. two, two times. And it was just one of the most wonderful things ever. And just like start, start to unpeel again, even more shame. And I just loved it. And I've not looked back over the past like three years. I've just still loved it. And I just find, um, I don't know. I feel like just sex is like intertwined into our lives in so many ways. Mm-hmm. And it's just such a privilege to be able to talk about it with people. And yeah, it's awesome. That's a great way to look at it. I agree. I feel that way every time someone shares with me on the podcast. I'm like, a, not a qualified person to be listening, but I am still a person. Um, so it, it does feel like a privilege. It feels like, I feel like it's a part of intimacy that is, you know, often like overlooked of just like, you ha- you know you know you have those friendships that you could say anything to and like sex is a big topic in those in those relationships or friendships mm-hmm. and so I feel like it's yeah I mean I'm repeating myself it is complicated and it's all those things that we already said um I you I'm I'm have to go into the second heartbreak now yeah <laughs> like I'm sorry I feel I feel like I'm flagellating you I'm like give me more of your trauma <laughs> it's good it's like get it out of me take it I hope on it I can, I can shoulder it go ahead <laughs> so so yeah I feel like the second heartbreak came with the long-term relationship coming to an end um which kind of coincided with starting grad school and I would say that like I think the experience of the sexual assault sort of started to put me on a different path and we started to go in different directions and in the sense that like it really like learning more about sexual assault and sexual violence and gendered violence and like systems of oppression really started to get me into like learning more about the systems of oppression and like Mm -hmm. why it's so common and like for white ladies, but less so for white ladies, more for people of color and transgender women and all of that. And yeah, just like, then I was kind of veering in this path of like learning all these things and wanting to be a writer and wanting to be a therapist. And like, I think that our interests start to take us in different directions. And he was really like into his career as well. And we started to move into a long distance relationship. And it was more like, I would say like a death by a thousand cuts yeah and ending then like all at once on on my end and so when it ended 
um, which I always like to add was on the day that Trump got elected. So it was a very painful, (laughs) (laughs) painful day, but, (laughs) but it was also kind of like, I'll never forget it because like people in the streets were wearing black, people were just crying. And I was like, yes, I feel that. And I feel that on another level. (laughs) You're like, thank you. All of this for me. (laughs) We're all grieving together. I really, really appreciate it. Um, left class crying and nobody batted an eye. It's like, yeah, <laughs> totally normal. <laughs> now socially acceptable behavior. <laughs> hey, unexpected good shit that came out of that clown. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, oh my um, gosh. and does so? Do you feel like because your book is called "Break Through the Breakup"? Mm-hmm. right you got it nailed it I'm like Ooh. do you feel like because mine has to do with breakup and I always feel weird because I have to talk about my ex often because of the mm. I put him in the book uh, but did you I don't know what your book is like so maybe start by telling me a little bit more about the book itself and and the relationship with mm-hmm. that relationship <laughs> yeah so because the breakup felt more like death by a thousand cuts I think then I experienced a lot of the more intense feelings when I started to date Mm. for like the first time in my adult life and get rejected and get ghosted. And I don't know if I like somehow delayed the feelings. The grieving. I think I kind of, yeah, I think I kind of did because it would be like, I dated this guy for a month and it felt like the world was ending when that relationship ended. Mm -hmm. And I still think it was hard, but I think that there was some like some carryover. Um, and so the book is a mixture of like little, like anecdotes of my own experience, um, as a person who's had their heart broken, um, from that breakup. And then also from the other experiences I've had, it's also a mixture of like, I interviewed a bunch of different women for the book. Mm -hmm. And so I have some of their experiences and then the wisdom of like, what helps that's all like from the process of like putting myself back together, yeah. going to therapy, um, talking as a therapist, like things I've learned from talking with clients and also from, I feel like there's no better time than when you're heartbroken to like learn about stuff. I feel like you're so motivated. And so mm-hmm. I feel like that's when I went into attachment theory. That's when I like learned about self-compassion because I like needed it, like air. Yeah. I needed something to help. Yeah, that's a powerful statement um I'm excited to read it (laughs) when does it come out has it been out it comes out next a week tomorrow a week tomorrow for us so it it is already out by the time this podcast episode is out so yeah June 8th you can buy it you can order it where can people find it on Amazon um yeah Amazon I think like all the major online book places so places um Indigo Walmart and all that jazz. That's so exciting. The link will be in the description. So please go ahead, click away and buy it, download it, read it, share it, all of the things. Um, (laughs) Do you feel, what do you feel is like your biggest takeaway from, Mm. from the book itself or the writing of the book or the publishing of the book? Like what's your biggest takeaway of the book process? The like content in the book or like the writing Whichever one is the biggest takeaway regarding either. 
Mm, okay, let me think about that. I think in terms of content of what I've learned, I feel like as a quote unquote recovering rule follower perfectionist, I feel like people would always tell me I was so hard on myself and that never helped. Like that never kind of, I didn't know how to not do that. And I think the biggest thing has been learning about self-compassion because just like, oh, just don't criticize yourself. That never like made sense. I didn't quite know what that meant, but like, oh, there's actually ways to be compassionate to yourself Um, and how it relates to like relationships, like how we see our value. And so like seeing how much of like, I'd put value into like, I need to be in a relationship. Um, I need to Mm. like tick these boxes in my life. And also what people, like if somebody doesn't want to date me or wants to break up with me. What does that mean about me? Yeah. Yeah. It's like earth shattering. And it made dating so exhausting. And mm-hmm. I dated like I was like, I don't know, like it was a job or something and job interviews. And like, <laughs> I would have like two or three dates a week. And it would be like this frantic thing of like when it went well and somebody liked me, I would just feel like over the moon. And when it went bad, it would just be like debilitating. And so the learning of that's not where your worth lies that like in self-compassion, like I don't know if you're familiar with the like three components of it. No, go ahead. Maybe no, I am I'm, once you explain them. Maybe. But so one of them is being mindful. So like noticing when you're critical mm-hmm. or judging. And so just noticing it, which is huge. And then the second part is common humanity. So it's this belief that as humans, we all have inherent worth. And on like a fundamental level, nobody's better and nobody's worse. And so it's yeah. like noticing yeah, those times where we go, oh, I'm better or I'm worse or like I'm good because I'm succeeding or I'm bad because I'm <laughs> dumped and like, no, like we're all like yeah. come back to center. And so that piece and then the last part is just like learning a dialogue to talk to yourself more compassionately. And so I feel like that boiled down to self-compassion has been like the biggest like transformational piece yeah. in my life and yeah, biggest takeaway. That is huge and super Mm -hmm. helpful. That is, yeah. I mean, that was bigger than what I was asking. So I'm very grateful (laughs) for you. (laughs) Thank you. Um, It's going to be in a similar lane, but this is the general last question that I ask every guest. It doesn't have to be about the book. Mm -hmm. Um, What's a thing that you've learned in your life Mm -hmm. that you wish someone had told you or that you wish you would have known early on that you're like, what the fuck? No one told me or like young me needed to know that. Mm. Yeah. Let me think about that. Yes. This is usually the long silence moment. Mm-hmm. I think it is that like moving away from black or white thinking mm. in every way. Like right now I'm thinking of with emotions, like there's not good or bad emotions. There's just emotions that give us information. Mm -hmm. There's not like a good or bad way to live your life, to be a good person. Like, it's just like you get to decide. And also like, just as, as humans, like things are great, things are messy. 
and just learning how to like take all of it as teaching as information mm-hmm. rather than like tallying of how worthwhile a person you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. I can, I can agree with that. Yeah. That's a huge one. I don't know if I would have believed them if they said that to me at the time. (laughs) That's another rabbit hole. (laughs) But at least you could have said, oh, they tried to tell me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay. This is, I'm just thinking of this. I was going to end it, but I have a last question that's on my mind. Um, What, and again, it's a personal question. So feel free to not answer. Um, what's your current today in this moment, um, relationship to sex? Mm, I think that like pleasure is healing. Yeah. And I might just leave it at that. Yes. (laughs) I end every single episode with have yourself some pleasure. So that is definitely what I would preach if I had a church of my own. pleasure is definitely healing thanks so much for coming to talk Erin this has been so fun time flew it did fly I can't believe it it's been fantastic (laughs) Um, thanks so much for reaching out um everyone Erin's Instagram and Twitter and all those things will be in the description as well as the link for the book um yeah same thing for me if you want to share the podcast or do the liking and the clicking go ahead uh any parting words um find a moment of pleasure today that's right thank you Erin and thanks everyone for listening and I will speak to you sometime soon depending on my mood okay bye